0: The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome you to visit our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Good morning everyone and welcome to our service of Berean Baptist Church. All right, we're going to be looking at the incident here, some lessons the widow of Zarephath, here in the life of the prophet Elijah, 1 Kings chapter 17. Let's go ahead and stand as we read God's word together, 1 Kings chapter 17, beginning in verse number 8. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there, gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water and a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake but a handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruse. and behold, I am gathering two sticks, that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said. But make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me. And after, make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruse of oil fail, until the day the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. And she and he and her house did eat many days, and the barrel of meal wasted not, Neither did the crudes of oil fail according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this afternoon. Thank you for the faithful that are here. Lord, help us as we look into your word and the life of Elijah, who lived and served you during a very dark period in the nation of Israel's history in a time when there was great apostasy, a great turning away from the true faith in Jehovah, and a time where false worship of Baal was introduced to the people, in a time when there was persecution against the true prophets of God, yet there you protected Elijah as he obeyed you in a very difficult time. And not only did you protect him, Lord, and guide him, but you provided for this widow and her son, this Gentile widow, and provided not only physically, but spiritually, she came to a true faith in you. Lord, help us that we would be built up in our faith, that in difficult times, in dark times in our nation, that as your church, we would go forward to be faithful to you, that we would trust in you, that we would obey you in times when it's very costly. Bless The teaching of your word, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. When I think of the life of Elijah and all the risks that he has taken, I think of how people today are afraid to take risks. In fact, in one way, we're all scared of that. In the Saturday Evening Post, an article pointed out that many people are afraid of flying. Statistically, of course, a person is more likely to be killed by a donkey than to die in a plane crash, and yet people are still scared of the plane. The fear of being murdered is extremely high. A person is eight times more likely to die while playing their favorite sport than being murdered. That's probably not true in the city of Delano where where I'm ministering, but the truth is that everyone takes risks. We take it when we go to a restaurant and people serve us water, We don't know really what's in that water, yet we trust it and we drink it. We take a risk when we eat food at a restaurant. We take a risk when we deposit our money into a bank. We take a risk when we buy a home. We take a risk when we buy a car. And sometimes people say, I want to avoid all risk in order to protect myself. It reminds me of the story of a knight. Who had a long journey on horseback, and he wanted to prepare to make sure everything went perfect. So, to anticipate everything, he wore his sword, his full court, his full coat of armor, just in case there was any, anyone unfriendly that would meet him on the road. He brought along his axe for chopping wood, his tent, his blankets, his pots, his pans, his oats, just in case there was no food for his horse to eat a large jar of ointment just in case he got poison ivy. All of this was stacked on top of him and his horse as he made his way out of the castle across the bridge that spanned the moat, clanking and thudding and clanging. It was like a moving junk pile. And while he was halfway across the bridge, the boards broke, he fell in there, and he drowned and he died. Our text today is about obeying God even when there's a risk in obeying God, when it's not safe to obey Him. There are times in our Christian experience when we're called to take a risk and to obey God. And God will bless that, by the way. There's many times I've taken a risk in witnessing to people. And even speaking about Christ in front of politicians, I never thought I would be in front of politicians, but when we had one day an opening, uh, a celebration of the opening of our prison, all these people came from the governor's office, and they asked me to pray. I don't know why, but they asked me to. And so it was uh, praying in Christ's name, asking God to bless law enforcement in a, in a city that in a, in a nation that's really anti-law enforcement. God will place us in difficult places. To obey him and to trust him. Here, God illustrates that truth in the lives of two individuals Elijah and a Gentile widow. The times that Elijah lived in, he ministered in the northern kingdom. The kingdom, of course, had been split. In the southern kingdom of Judah, there were some good kings, all of them descendants of King David. Some were good and honored God, some were evil. But in the north, all the kings were wicked and evil. One evil man was by a king in the north, his name was Omri. Now it's interesting about Omri, what the Bible says about him back in 1 Kings 16, verse 25. It says, but Omri wrought evil in the eyes of the Lord and did worse than all that were before him. In secular history, there are documents found that has Omri's name on it of how much Financial prosperity he brought to the land of Israel, where Israel is called the land of Omri. From the world's point of view, he was a success. But from God's point of view, God mentions nothing about his financial situation, only mentions how wicked he was. And how wicked he was in comparison to the other kings, he brought so much wickedness into the nation of Israel. But then it gets worse, because then we have old king Ahab. And the Bible says that the son went farther than the dad, verse 30. 1 Kings 16.30 And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. So it's interesting how here's a father living in rebellion. His son goes even farther in rebellion than the father. Not only does he live wickedly, but he ends up marrying a pagan woman. Her name is Jezebel. And yes, she was very much a witch. Not as an insultively witch. like She really practiced witchcraft. She was dedicated to her demon gods of Baal and Astaroth. She was a pagan woman that came from the nation of Tyre and Zidon, the Phoenician area on the coast of Israel. And King Ahab married her, and from the eyes of the world, again, he was politically wise to do so. By marrying this pagan princess, it would make an alliance between the nation of Israel and the Phoenician nation, and that would bring prosperity to the land. So from a financial point of view, man, that's a great move. But biblically, it was a terrible move. God forbid Israel from intermarrying with pagan people. It wasn't a racial thing. It was a religion thing to stay faithful to God. Ahab didn't do that. He married a very wicked woman, Jezebel. In fact, as you read the story of Ahab and Jezebel, she was very much a very controlling, evil, and wicked woman. So those are the people that are in power, is Ahab and Jezebel. And God is bringing judgment upon the nation of Israel because of their apostasy and worshiping false gods and getting involved in sexual perversion, which was part of the religion of Baalism. And during that time, God brought judgment upon the land. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this man, Elijah the Tishabite, shows up. He's a very rugged man. A manly man, a mountain man. He comes and immediately confronts the king. This is not a soft, weak, effeminate preacher wearing skinny jeans. This is a manly man. He comes thundering the truth in the king's face. In verse 1 of chapter 17... Elijah the Tishabite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. He comes and he confronts the king and tells him there's going to be a drought. How does he know that? Because Elijah knows his Bible. God promised, in Deuteronomy chapter 11, part of God's covenant with Israel, if Israel turned from God... God would turn from them and send them famine. He would cause there to be a drought. And so Elijah, compelled by God to preach the word of God to the king, comes and tells the king to his face. Now this is a man who can easily take your life. And you better believe if you were to ask Elijah, was there a risk when you confronted the king? You better believe it. He could have died doing the will of God, and yet he does he confronts the king and tells him that there's not going to be any rain that god is bringing judgment on the land because of its evil and so the land is full of evil and the judgment of god is falling and then god tells him in verse three get thee hence and turn the eastward and hide thyself by the brook cherith that is before the jordan so elijah moves but he only moves location based on god's will by god's word God tells them, it's time to move. Sort of like the Israelites. Remember the Israelites as they were wandering in the wilderness on the way to the promised land? They would only move when the presence of God would move. When when the presence of God wouldn't move over the tabernacle, they didn't move. And Elijah, being a faithful Israelite, he moves and he goes to the brook. Not Not the gigantic river, but the little brook, Cherith. And there God is going to feed him. He's going to provide food by the most greedy of birds, the ravens. None of this, in some sense, makes sense. Why didn't God send him to a a large city where wealthy people are at? No, he sends him to a little brook and he doesn't even have a restaurant runner delivering for him. He has a raven. Ravens bring him food. But he moves and he obeys at the command of God. We, like Elijah, need to remain where God has placed us. Even when it's difficult. Elijah went to difficult places based on the word of God. The first thing I want you to know this afternoon is the path of God's command. Number one, the path of God's command. Elijah obeys. God calls, commands Elijah and he obeys. Verses 8 through 11. Look with me at verses 8 and 9. The word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise. Get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So here God tells Elijah, I want you to go to Zarephath, a city in Zidon. Not an Israelite city, a pagan city. And so here the will of God is given to Elijah by the word of the Lord. God's word is the one infallible guide with regards to knowing the will of God. God directs him to a place that he really doesn't... This is not Elijah's first choice, but it's God's choice. Zarephath stood around 8 miles south of Zidon, 13 miles north of Tyre. It's about 80 miles north of Samaria. So Elijah has to walk through very hostile territory 100 miles. And... He has to travel through pagan territory that is controlled by Queen Jezebel's daddy. This is an area of demonic activity, an area where they hate the one true God. And here is God's man at the command of God. He has to travel through there to a pagan city. So Elijah's hated, he's headed from Baalsville to Gentile land by the command of God. The word Zarephath means refining. It signifies a crucible. A crucible is a place where metals are melted for the purpose of separating impurities from pure gold. This place where God is sending Elijah is a place where God is going to mold and shape the character of this man of God. The same was true of Job. In Job 23, verse 10, Job said, But he knoweth the way that I take. When he, God, has tried me, I will come forth as gold. The psalmist said in Psalm sixty-six, ten, "O God, thou hast proved us, thou hast tried us as silver is tried. That is, God tries his people, he puts them in difficult circumstances to purify their lives, to conform them more to the image of Jesus. One lesson in our text is this, as God used a place of refining Zarephath to mold Elijah, so God is using trials in our life to refine us more into the image of Christ. God used difficulties in the life of Elijah to mold him, to shape him. He does the same in our life. In the book of Malachi, we see this principle, Malachi chapter 2, where it speaks of the Levites, and how the coming of the messiah will bring a refining at his second coming he will refine the character of the levites it says for he shall be a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap fuller's soap was alkali that was used to make cloth very white and a refiner was responsible to take metals like gold to put them in a pot and a crucible and to boil them to, to make it hot to where it becomes liquid and in the process of it burning that gold what would rise to the top would be the, the impurities in the gold and the refiner was to take a stick and he was to clean off the top and then he would make it hot again and the impurities would rise at the top then he would clear off the top and he would keep on doing this until he got pure gold and how did he know when he was done he could see his own image in the gold that's what god is doing in the life of elijah and in our life he brings trials in order to mold us and when does he stop until our character is molded and shaped into the character of our Savior. Another lesson here is that man's extremity is God's opportunity. When Cherith dried up, Zarephath opened up by the hand of God. God will not abandon his people. So here is Elijah goes to a little creek. The ravens are bringing him food. Things are going good, but watch this. But then the creek dries up. That's okay. Because a... Believers not to trust in the gifts of God, but in the giver. And so, but once this creek dries up, immediately God opens up another place and another, a person that will provide for him. How this should teach us to refrain from being concerned about the future. Remember that tomorrow will bring tomorrow's God with it. In Isaiah 41, verse 10, the Lord says, for Thou not, for I am with thee. Fear not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed. For I am thy God, I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee by my right hand of my righteousness. We see this truth of God not abandoning his people in the fire of trials. We sing that in the wonderful hymn, How Firm a Foundation. I won't sing it for you, but let me read it to you. Fear not, for I am with you, O be not dismayed, for I am thy God, I will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand, upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. When through the deep waters I call you to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not overflow. For I will be with thee, thy troubles to bless, and sanctify thee through deepest distress. Verse 4, and through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie. My grace all-sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee, I only design thy dross to consume, thy gold to refine. Look with me at verse 10. So he, Elijah, arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. Now this is a severe testing for Elijah. Elijah's gone through a desert region. He's traveled on foot. And by the way, he's a very healthy guy because later on when the, the famous contest between the prophets of Baal and Elijah take place, and then God answers by fire, burns up the sacrifice, the false prophets are killed, and then he prays for rain and God sends rain, he, King Ahab, goes back to his palace 16 miles away from Mount Carmel, and Elijah outruns him. That, that, he's a pretty healthy guy. He's a pretty healthy prophet. I'll run out of steam before a mile. Here's Elijah, severe testing for him, takes this long trip through the desert, and now he has to be dependent on a poor Gentile widow. And he has to go into a pagan city, Jezebel's hometown. Elijah, is, by the order of God, he's to leave the comforts of his nation and go to a Gentile nation, the very headquarters of Baal worship. God's plan for Elijah demanded from him unquestioning obedience. This is what the servant of the Lord is to do. The psalmist says in Psalm 119.33, Teach me, O Lord, the way of thy statutes, and I shall keep them unto the end. Lord, help me to learn your word so I could obey your word. Psalm one nineteen verse thirty four, he prays, Give me understanding, and I shall keep thy law. Help me to learn the Bible, not just for the sake of telling others I know the Bible. No, help me to learn your word that I may order my, my life by your word. What do we learn here? Like Elijah, God demands unquestioned obedience of us. We must trust his word and regulate our lives by it. Remember what Samuel said to King Saul, "Better to obey, to obey is better than sacrifice, to hearken than the fat of rams. Jesus said the same principle of obedience, if you love me, keep my commandments. We're not to be like the people in Ezekiel's there. Remember, Ezekiel was taken from the Babylonians from Judah and carried to Babylon. And there in Babylon, he prophesied, and the people would come to hear Elijah preach. In Ezekiel 33, he said, they hear thy words, but they will not do them. With their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after covetousness. They said that Elijah was like a lovely song; we love to hear him, we just don't want to obey what he says. Another thing we learn here is this: that God did not send Elijah to a big, large river, but to a little brook Cherith. So that Elijah did not. So God did not send Elijah to a wealthy sea merchant, but to a poor Gentile widow. Like Elijah, we must learn humility to be used of God. Now if you were to ask, Elijah, where would you like to go? Would you like to go stay with the rich sea merchant who has a mansion and they have a prophet's chamber, a beautiful guest house? They'll have servants come and feed you the best of caviar, kosher of course. Or would you like to live with a pagan Gentile woman who's about to die? Oh, and by the way, she's a widow. And back in those days, you really couldn't go out as a woman and get a job. Where would you like to stay? Of course you would like to stay in a palace. But that was not God's will. He had humble, humbly, as a strong, physically, spiritually strong man of God, humble himself, obey God, and go be dependent upon a widow woman who's pagan to support him. I think that was a humbling assignment for a man who's used to stand before kings. Now he has to go live with a poor widow. But this was a class, a lesson in Humility 101. A basic course for anyone wanting to be used by God. 1 Peter 5 reminds us, Likewise, the younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. We learn here that the servant of God, any servant of God, must also practice the word of God. The servant of God must practice the Word of God. When God told him, I want you to go to Zarephath, the Bible says, so he arose and went to Zarephath. That's very basic. God told him what to do and immediately he does it. The path of a servant is the path of obedience. By the way, it's interesting that in the New Testament, one of the most popular terms that's used even more than Christian to describe the believer is that of doulos, translated servant, meaning slave. Paul, the servant of God, that means he's the slave of God. A slave is owned by his master. He lives to do his master's will. This is true, only of Paul and of Elisha. It ought to be true of every believer that we obey. Something else here. God was involved in all the details of Elijah's life. Just as God is involved in all the details of your life as a child of God. We must work at seeing the providence of God in everything. In other words, there are no accidents. He enters the city gate here in the city of Zarephath, this pagan city. Then the Bible says, Behold, the widow woman was gathering sticks. Behold meaning, wow, look, check this out. At the right time that Elijah arrives, the widow's out getting sticks and they just by happenstance, in God's providence, they run into each other. God had told his servant to go there and now he moves the widow woman to go out to collect sticks and they meet each other at the exact right time. This is how God works in his providence over all things for the good of his people and for the glory of his name. Jeremiah 10.23 tells us, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. The steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord, Psalm 37, 23. So here is Elijah. He's he's in the path of obedience, and at the right time, at the right place, he runs into the right woman. Accident? I don't think so. It was the plan of God and His sovereign providence. I remember as a teenager, 17 years old, I would listen to the radio... And there was a season in my life where I was very convicted of my sin. And it wasn't by accident that I ran into a call-in show on the radio. And the man who was calling in asking Bible questions, the guy who was answering the questions, it was almost like he was talking to me, because the guy who called in was asking questions that I had in my mind. He was telling him, I fear if I die I'm going to go to hell. He was, well, you need to be saved. The caller would say, well, I I want to be saved. I started going to church, and so I read my Bible. You know, I'm trying to give up bad things. I I want to be saved. And the man that took in that call, and I'm listening by God's providence, he says, but your good works can't save you. All the good deeds that you're trying to do to change yourself, realize you cannot change yourself. You're a sinner. You need God to save you. And he saves sinners by grace through faith in Christ. And then he quotes Ephesians 2. Verses 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And he says, you see there, it's a gift. It's not a reward because you have righteous behavior. It is a gift to guilty sinners who truly believe. If I was a cartoon at that time, the light bulb would have went on. I finally got it. Like God quickened me. He enlivened me. He enabled me to fly to Christ by faith and believe. All that happened because by accident I ran into this radio station. No, no, it wasn't by accident. It was a providence of God. We have to train ourselves to think nothing happens by accident in life. God has a purpose in all that he does. Verse 11. And she was going to fetch it. He called to her and said... Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thy hand. Now, I want you just to notice when he says, I pray thee, this is a very respectful, gracious manner of addressing somebody. Um, Elijah is a man of God. She's a Gentile woman. He knows God. She doesn't. He's a servant of God. She isn't. He's not rude about it. He's kind. He's civil. He doesn't come and say, Wicked pagan woman, feed me now. That's not what he does. He's a man of God, but he's also gracious, civil, kind to her. The Bible tells us to be courteous, 1 Peter three eight, That's a divine command given to us. Yes, we can be people of conviction, but it doesn't mean you have a right to be rude. He's gracious to this woman. The servant of God, like Elijah, must be respectful and courteous, to others. Colossians 4, 6 tells us, let your speech always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. In other words, be courteous, be humble in Christ like the way you engage people, even lost people. Don't look down upon anyone because by by the grace of God, there go you. They should be free from rudeness and bitterness. Here's Elijah and the path of obedience to God's command. Secondly, want you to note the promise of god's command the promise is simple god will provide the promise of god's command god will provide verses 12 through 15 verse 12 and she said as the lord thy god liveth i have not a cake but a handful of meal and a barrel and a little oil and a cruise and behold I'm gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son that we may eat it and die. Needless to say, this was probably not the best time for her to feed out-of-town guests. The widow had barely enough to feed her son and herself one last little meal and then be prepared to die of starvation. I do want you to notice something interesting. She believes death is imminent. She's going to starve. Listen now. And she's still working. She doesn't say, Woe well, is me. I'm going to die. There's no hope. I haven't prepared this last month. We're going to die anyways. I'm just going to stay home, sit at home, and just wait to die. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. She doesn't give in to fatalism. She goes about and she works to the very last hour. She's not in, inhospitable. she was down to her last meal this widow the widow believed she was at the last moments of her life and yet she's involved in daily work she was not a fatalist but she believed in human responsibility this woman doesn't say i'm going to die why fulfill my responsibilities why because you need to work and she goes out there and she works Up to the very end, she's industrious and hard-working to the very end. She didn't give up in utter despair, sit down with her hands and just wait to die. She got up to search for sticks. Idleness is never justified, least of all in an emergency. It is why she's in the path of duty. Yes, household duty. As she's in the path of duty, that God ordained the servant of God to meet her to provide for her and her family. So it reminds me of a, there's a film put out called The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind about a Malawian African boy and how as a child, famine hit the area and they needed water badly. And he was a boy, he was under 14 years old. In fact, he gave a speech, a TED Talk when he was 14. It was before he was 14 as a boy that famine hit or ran out of water. He didn't just give up. He dropped out of school, but he had a little library. He went to the library and began to study how to make windmills. He ended up making windmills to end up pumping out water out of the ground to save his village. Here's a boy who could say, you know what, I'm just a kid. I'm just going to give up. But he did it. He fulfilled his responsibilities. I think that's what this widow is doing. Someone said the train of failure usually runs on the track of laziness. Verse 13, and Elijah said unto her, fear not. Go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make it for thee and for thy son. That's pretty bold. Please make me food first, and then you can feed yourself and your son. Verse 14. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, Neither shall the cruse of oil fail until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. Now listen, Elijah's faith is not in the little brook, the little seasonal brook called Cherith. It's in the God who controls the brook. His faith is not in ravens, that they're gracious birds, because they're not. His faith is in the God who created ravens. Now in Zarephath, Elijah's not trusting in flour or oil, but in the God who controls everything, including flour and oil. Verse 15, And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days. So she hears the word from the man of God, she obeys, and then God provides. Now it may not be she obeys, turns around, feeds the prophet, and she turns around, all of a sudden it looked like she went shopping at Costco. And everything is full and packed, and I think God literally provided like every day. Every day she had to go back to that crucible. Every day she had to go back to a little bit of flour. Every day she had to go back to those meager supplies she had. Give it, and then God would restore her. Give it, and then God would restore her. God always provided every day just enough what they needed. God revealed, interesting enough, that he's in control of the weather, even though they were taught in that area that, that Baal controls the weather. That was the pagan belief of the pagans. So in God providing food to this pagan woman, God is saying, Baal is not God, Jehovah is God. Reminds me of the early days in the 1940s when Dallas Seminary first begun. The first president was a man by the name of Lewis Barry Schaefer. One of the lecturers who would come and preach was Harry Ironside. It was during a season where financially the school was about to close and they began to pray and to beg God. That God would provide for his people for this center of training pastors. So Dr. Schaefer, Dr. Ironside, and a few other pastors got together there at the school and began to pray. Dr. Ironside's famous prayer went like this Oh God, you own a cattle on a thousand hills. Lord, won't you sell some of those cattle and send the money? secretary was at the door of the office where dr ironside and lewis barry schaefer were praying a couple of other pastors disturbed their prayer meeting opened the door and the secretary said dr schaefer there's a cattle rancher here <laughs> and he told them the cattle rancher said sir i'm a cattle rancher i don't know what really came over me how to explain it but i'm here to give you this money i sold some of my cattle and i've brought the check to you and it covered all the needs of God's people at that time. God promises to provide. He will meet all of our need, not necessarily all of our greed. Thirdly, we see the provision of God. God does provide. Verse 15 and 16. And she went and did according to the saint of Elijah, she and he and her house, and did eat many days, and the barrel of meal was not of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. There were no leftovers. No leftovers and to freeze or to ziplock and save for the next day. Just fresh provisions every day. This was daily bread, demanding daily faith in the providence of God that he would provide for his obedient people the Dutch Christian Corrie ten Boom during, during the Holocaust while she was in a concentration camp. She tells a story and how she had smuggled in a small vitamin bottle, her and her sister. And at first she didn't want to share because she didn't have very much. But they would give a drop here, a drop there every day to others, including herself. She said after several weeks she wonders, how did she have so many drops? In fact, Her sister told her, don't try too hard to explain it, Corey. Just accept it as a surprise from a father who loves you. And their little bottle of vitamins didn't run out. The same God who provides for Elijah provides for his people, even today living in a dark society. In conclusion, God's saving grace is for the weak, helpless, and spiritually lost God's saving grace is for the weak, helpless, and spiritually lost. This Gentile widow is the weakest person in society in the Middle East. She is a woman, she can't just go out there and start her own business and work. She is a widow, so she doesn't have any support. People usually take advantage of someone like that. She's a weak, she's a widow, she's helpless, she's living without the protection of a husband, and she has a son. She needs security and guidance, but she has none. Yet, God delights to take those who are weak and helpless and save them. Deuteronomy 10.18 speaks of God. He doth execute the judgment of the fatherless and the widow. At first, she doesn't know the Lord. She said in verse 12, As the Lord thy God liveth, Jehovah's your God. She doesn't know God yet, but she's going to. The living God has mercy on her. How do you know? By providing her food? More than that. God provided her a clear witness in the person of Elijah. Elijah is not provided by staying at a a home of a rich Jewish person. No, no, no. He goes to this Gentile widow by the design of God that she would only be provided physical salvation but spiritual salvation. The same way the living God sends out his word today to save all types of weak, helpless sinners. God's saving grace, number two, moves him to save the most unlikely of sinners. Now, if you were to take a religious survey and say, what do you think people are most receptive to the gospel? Jerusalem? Yes, yes. The southern kingdom is definitely better than the northern kingdom. The southern kingdom, it's a better atmosphere at least they have some kings that are good the north man the the north man they're wicked in the north i I think god's going to save people from the south during the reign of ahab and jezebel no one would have said no i think a sinner is going to be saved in jezebel's hometown among the pagan people no one would have said that and yet here we see god's saving sovereign grace and that god is able to save all types of sinners God's grace is God's choice. God chooses to take a woman who's living in Jezebel's demon-infested town and save her. What could she have known about the God of Israel? What chance in a million could she have to hear the good news of Jehovah that he's a saving God? The answer of that question was answered by Jesus. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus had just began his earthly ministry. He went into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. He succeeds in victory over the devil after 40 days of fasting. He goes to his hometown of Nazareth. And he comes in and he takes the scroll of Isaiah and he reads it to a packed crowd. His synagogue, his hometown where he grew up. And he quotes Isaiah 61. How God had anointed him to preach the gospel to the poor. And then he says, what I've read, and he reads the Bible, what I've read, it's fulfilled today in your hearing. People begin to say, oh, he's claiming to be the Messiah. Isn't this the son of Joseph and Mary? People begin to talk. Oh, we heard you did miracles in Capernaum. Do some here. They begin to reject our Lord. Our Lord says, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But then he says this, but I tell you a truth. Many widows were in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when the great famine threw out all the land. But unto none of them was Elijah sent, except unto Zarephath, a city in Zidane, unto a woman that was a widow. Now think about it. He says, In the time of Elijah... How many widows in Israel? And Israel was in a great apostasy, backslidden, rebellious against God. How many widows did God supernaturally provide for among Jewish women, His covenant people? The answer, none. But God did provide for a pagan widow woman who lived in wicked Queen Jezebel's demon-infested town, a widow in the city of Zarephath. God bypassed all the Jews, Saved the Gentiles. And what do you think that Jewish synagogue said? Amen! Preach it! Preach it! No, they got mad. What? What? God bypassed us and went to and chose a widow woman over us? How could God do that? Choose someone not as great as us. God has never chosen sinners for who they are. He does it in spite of who they are. This offended them. When Jesus was done with his sermon, they were so offended the fact that Jesus brought up biblical history how God bypassed them all and chose to save physically and spiritually a pagan woman a widow woman in Zarephath, they were so offended that they took Jesus to a cliff to toss him over. But it was not ordained of the Father for him to die that day. So what did he do? They brought him to the hill, to the cliff, to throw him over because he taught how God's grace can distinguish sinners to save some and not others and they were angry. The crowd brings him to throw him over the cliff and then Jesus does this. He just walks right through, right through them. They're like, get him. get him. No one touches him. He just... Why? Because God's in control. It, wasn't, it was ordained of the Father that he would die by crucifixion, Psalm 22. Just... Get him, get him. No one touches him. Walks right through. Why? They were angry that God would save. The most unlikely sinners, including pagan peoples. God's saving grace, thirdly, is received by faith alone. The Gentile widow came to God in saving faith. She rested on God's sovereign grace and trusted Him. In First Kings 17, verse 13, Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me first thereof, a little cake first. Now she could have said, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. Uh, I don't like this plan of feeding you first. But she does not She believes the word of the man of God. She went and did according to Elijah's saying. What is, why did she do that? She had faith. I don't know what it was, but she believed that Elijah's God was the one true God. She exhibited real obedience because she had a real faith in Jehovah God. This is a consistent pattern of God's sovereign and saving grace. It always comes to those who trust in the Lord and Him alone. And the Puritan Thomas Brooke was dying, this famous preacher, many gathered around his bedside as he was getting ready to die. One stood by him weeping and said, Brother, brother, you are going to receive the reward of all your labors in a few moments. Pastor Hooker looked at him and said, Brother, I'm going to receive mercy. That's what this widow received. And in many ways, we're like that widow. We don't deserve him. We we don't deserve salvation. Why did it come to you and not to others, the message of the gospel? Oh, I see, God saw that spark of human goodness in me. There's none. (laughs) Dead in trespasses and sins. Rebels, enmity against God. They that are in the flesh cannot please God. There is nothing in us to please Him, yet in spite of us, the gospel came to us And God saved us. All the glory and the grace and the praise goes to him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for the lessons from the life of this widow in Zarephath. Though she was not seeking you, you sought her. And that really is the story of all of our lives. We were not seeking you, but you sought us. You took us from trusting in ourselves and our own religion and brought us savingly to yourself to trust in Christ and him alone. Lord, it is all because of your grace. All the praise and the glory goes to you. And Father, you've done much and you provide for our our physical needs. You provide food and shelter, clothing. All of these good gifts come from your good hand. And Lord, you provided eternal salvation. Help us, Lord, like Elijah, in gratitude that we would be your slave. To obey you, to be faithful to you, because we love you. Not because we're trying to merit or earn acceptance, but because you have accepted us in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we are eternally grateful. And we display that gratitude and loving obedience because we love you and we trust you. And as Elijah was faithful during dark times, when there was an evil government, when there was pagan religion and false, false religion, may we be true to you, faithful to you in this dark time. Bless the preaching of your word to our lives, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Roner Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us online at www.bebaptist.org.